This is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? (laughs) This presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly, June 19th, 2021. The White Sox are now 43-27 and 27 on this season. They have dropped two in a row to the Houston Astros. They are a darn good ball club, and so are the White Sox. Those two things we know for sure. Lots to get to on the show this afternoon. We'd love to make you a part of it as well. Let me give you a rundown of a couple of things that we are going to get into on this afternoon's show before we hit the pregame show at 6.30 tonight. Uh, rather, 5.30 tonight. 6.30 would be far too late. They'd be playing baseball in Houston by the time we were halfway through the pregame show. Instead, let's do the pregame show at 5.30 tonight. That way we can get it to Lennon DJ at 6.05. 6.15 first pitch for two very exciting pitchers, two very exciting starters, Lance Lynn has the ball for the White Sox tonight. He has a 1.51 ERA. He has been shiny and spectacular all season long for the White Sox. Framber Valdez is the starter for the Astros. And I'll be straight up with you. I'll be honest. I've watched some tape on Framber. I've only seen him throw once uh, in a start for Valdez. I'm, I'm very excited to watch him pitch. And I hope that the White Sox are, you know, able to tune him up a little bit. A little bit better than they did against Luis Garcia last night and Jose Urquidy. The night before, the Astros have pitched well. The Sox offense has gone a little bit colder than you'd like over the last two games. They dropped the first one 10-2 to the Astros and lost the second 2-1. White Sox lost in a walk-off last night in the ninth. Garrett Crochet took the loss after a terrific outing from Carlos Rodon. He went seven, gave up one, and struck out eight. Jeff Passan of ESPN is going to be our guest at 415 We'll talk with him about the Major League trade deadline, a little bit on the draft, which is coming up fairly soon, and also about the biggest topic in baseball, right? I I think last week on White Sox Weekly, we touched on it a little bit, but what with the injury concerns and Nick Madrigal just having been announced as out for the season going into the show last week, we spent a lot more time on the White Sox roster and what the trade deadline could bring or what you'd like to see uh, come into the White Sox for the trade deadline. This week, I think we get a little bit more time to spend on the biggest headline in baseball, and that is, of course, the new rules, or I guess the better way to put it are the old rules, but reinforced. There is no more sticky stuff allowed on the baseball. And it's really anybody's guess as to how much that will change our game. It's really anybody's guess as to how much we see it change the game. It's really, just to be poetic about it, I'll do it a third time, it's really anybody's guess as to how much pitchers give a darn about the rules change right now. We'll get into that a little bit later on as we go, but I do have a couple of, there are some White Sox headlines to take care of here as they go into game number three of four against the Houston Astros tonight. If you watched last night's game or listened to it here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network, and we certainly hope you did, and if you did, thank you so much. Um, Andrew Vaughn was pegged in the, I shouldn't say pegged. Pegged means he, you know, took it on the fly. He didn't, it was, Vaughn hit a really nice double into right field. And it was a night where, you know, the White Sox had a couple of hits early in the first, second, and third. 
Vaughn got his double in the sixth. He was the only hit after the third inning for the White Sox. And here he is with a two-out double, making it look like, hey, White Sox could put, I don't know, maybe they get something shaking down in the middle of the uh, bottom of the order. So he doubles into right. The throw comes in, bounces once off the turf, and just cleans him up on the right side of the face. Got him in the eye area. I think it looked like the ball got a decent amount of the bill of his of his helmet, which is good because that hopefully absorbed a lot of the blow. He stayed in the game for about an inning and a half, came out in the eighth. Adam Engel took his at-bat because Vaughn was having some vision issues. That's what Tony LaRusso said after the game. And the hope was, it, it sounded like you know swelling, it's sore, it hurts a lot. Vaughn's in the lineup tonight. He's in left field and hitting seven. You know how important it is to have Andrew Vaughn out there in left now, which is just wild, isn't it? Andrew Vaughn was the number three prospect in baseball, number number five, number four, maybe, depending on where you wanted to look it up. He was a first base and first base only guy. And the White Sox and Vaughn thought to themselves, yeah, the hell with that. We're going to figure out how to play left field. And he did. And he plays a really good left field. That is a solid average or average left fielder in the big leagues after never having really played that position since Little League. Anyway, Vaughn couldn't see all that well. And if, you, if you've even got like a, a slimmer of a doubt about your ability to see, you don't go face big league pitching. That's just, if it's not rule number one, it's number two. It sounds like Tony LaRusso spoke with reporters earlier today, just leading into this one. Sounds like Vaughn's feeling much better. He's in the lineup. No issues. Here's Tony on White Sox left fielder Andrew Vaughn just about, uh, well, about an hour ago. His vision is, is good. Kirk thinks he's going to have a blackout at some point, but not yet. Lurie says he's good to try it. So, you know, it's nice and good lineup. It is. Uh, top to bottom gets you the lineup in just a second. Vaughn's in there. He sounds like he'll have a shiner, which is you know, it's kind of the story of this White Sox season. If you don't have a black eye or a bad hamstring, you've got something else. I, count for me, I, and truly, and I mean this, as injured as the White Sox are, it's incredible that they're playing the kind of baseball that they are. And that's not to say that they're the only team in baseball who have gone through bumps and bruises and are still playing well. Look at the Blue Jays, for instance. They've gotten all of five games out of one of the biggest free agents signed in the offseason, George Springer. Look at the Yankees. They beat up a bunch. Uh, look at the Dodgers. They're going through all of their depth and still playing fairly good baseball. Teams that are, and I, I, I do think this is true, if you look through the standings right now, you'll see some surprises, no doubt. Like the Giants are one of the best teams in baseball after having not projected to be very good at all. They are also pretty healthy. They've had some injuries, no doubt. Mike Estremsky, like just got back to the lineup the other day. But if you look up and down this, this league right now, teams that either are healthy or had just enough depth to cover injuries are the teams toward the top of the division and making runs. And I, I know that makes sense. Like you're probably sitting there going, yeah, Connor, that if you have good ball players available to you, you get to win baseball games. That's true. And I think what stands out about the 2021 White Sox, at least to me right now, among a couple of things, is the fact that a really good lineup and rotation got put together and the backing behind that also got put together. One way or another, it happened. You know, Jake Lamb came in there and gave some great at-bats despite everything that was around his being in the lineup in the first month. Billy Hamilton, same thing. Nick Madrigal, 
you know, fought his way through a little bit of a slump for two and a half weeks, then turned into Nick Madrigal again. And I, it, it, it is disappointing. It sucks. <laughs> I'll just say it, it, it sucks that he got hurt. And you hope the best for his rehab, obviously. And Rick Hahn has said a number of times that we still expect Nick Madrigal to be a big part of this White Sox team nucleus five-year window kind of thing going forward. Leury Garcia's been banged up a little bit. Yoan Moncada's been uh, not 100% with a sinus infection since that Rays series. There are health concerns for this White Sox team. And I, I think they're like a lot of other teams in baseball have. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't look at the ones the White Sox are getting through and credit them for getting through them. I think one place I, I want to kind of start the show, 312-332-3776. Here's, here's two other things we're going to do and would love you involved in. You got anything White Sox related you want to talk about? You want to jump in on the other night, two nights ago, anything White Sox, it's you, it's your show, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You're going to want to keep that handy because last week we played a game that seemed pretty popular. A lot of people enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. We're going to do it again. I call it, Who Do You Want?, We are in the thick of trade rumors, trade deadline talks, and so many teams are contenders and hurt, which means they need pieces. The White Sox are one of them, which makes all the sense in the world as to why I think we should play Who Do You Want again. And if you have a name that you'd love the White Sox to go acquire, because contenders make moves. Teams that have World Series expectations and aspirations acquire good ballplayers to help them out down the line. The White Sox are exactly that, and will do something exactly like that. So I want to know who you want. I have two rules for the trade deadline conversation that's going to go on for the next two months, right? You need to have a name when you call in. Like, don't you, not just a position. A name would be lovely. Love for you to have a name. And a why. Don't have to worry about his contract situation, uh, his fit on a team, how much he's worth, or you know, any of that kind of stuff. I'll do the legwork for you. All we need from you is a name and a why. Those are the two criteria for who do you want. We'll play that a little later on in the show, probably like 4.30, something like that. Jeff Passon's going to join us at 4.15. we got a couple of things to jump through as well. Last night stood out to me, and really the first game of the Astros series stood out to me as well for, for similar reasons with different results. And it centers around the pitching. Because I firmly believe for, uh, oh boy, about five weeks now that, you know, since Luis Robert went down, this offense could still be a good one and has been. Even though it's not hitting for power, which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. This offense can still be a dangerous one, and it has been. But for the White Sox in 2021, until guys get healthy or reinforcements are brought in, So much of this team's success is going to be about run prevention. And that happens in two ways. One of them is literally picking up the baseball and throwing it over to Jose Abreu's giant mitt. That's one way to do it. And it's a good way to do it. The other way is pitching as well as they have. And I think it's been pretty remarkable. No, it it has. It's been truly remarkable to watch the work from Carlos Rodon this season. It's been equally impressive to watch Lance Lynn. At times, it's been amazing to watch Dylan Cease. Lucas Giolito's had good games, and I think every 
I think just about every White Sox fan can look at a Lucas Giolito start and see somewhere in that start, 2020 Lucas or, or 2019 Lucas. And I think that guy's coming back. I don't think he's that far away from, you know, pitching like that on a regular basis. Who am I forgetting? Oh, yeah, Dallas Keuchel coming off two of his best outings of the year. Really interesting to see Dallas against his old team uh, tomorrow afternoon. Dallas is the scheduled starter for the White Sox tomorrow. But Carlos Rodon stands out to me more than the rest. Maybe Lance Lynn's a close 1B, right? But since Carlos pitched last night, I want to get into this. He had a no-hitter again through four and a third. He let up a single in the fifth on a bleeder to third base. The White Sox were in the shift against Jordan Alvarez, who you should absolutely shift against. And it just kind of found its way through the infield. You know how that works. Nobody likes to see it. Carlos was amused by it, which I thought, like, I can't put myself in that headspace. Imagine you're cruising along, making one of the best offenses in baseball look like they don't have a clue. And then you get a guy to swing at a slider down outside the strike zone. You make your pitch. That's exactly where he's trying to throw that baseball. And he gets just the cup of the bat on it. Just a, a little bit. And it squibs out there through the infield dirt, past third base, and it's an infield single. And Carlos has the mindset to smile and then keep pitching. I don't have the fortitude. No one has the fortitude to do that except big league pitchers, except guys like Carlos. It's just insane to me. Either way, like I can't even, I get out of bed in the morning and if I, like, spill coffee grounds, the day is ruined. There's, like, a small seismic eruption in the kitchen. Like, Pompeii has just gone off and destroyed the village, and I can't get my day back together. Major League pitchers are made of different stuff. Speaking of stuff, Carlos had it. The fastball was amazing. The slider was very good. And yet again, he's working himself through, you know, the potential, oh, man, this, this could be a thing. Now, in the fifth, it goes off the rails a little bit after the single. He walks a guy, gives up another single, and then walks in a run to tie the ball game. But then he strikes out Jose Altuve to end the inning. And the reason Carlos's season has been so impressive to me is because when you look back at old games where Carlos was really cooking, something would happen to throw him off the rails. There would be walks. There would be fastball command that would pop up. There'd be... a just mostly walks, I guess. But, you know, those kind of things would derail starts. And last night, after that fifth inning that went so wonky, comes back off for the sixth, strikes out two, clean inning, one, two, three. He said in his postgame last night, they asked about a seventh inning. Carlos, are you good for number seven? And he said, yeah, that's my job. I'll go do it. Said he was tired, but he said he was going to go grin and bear it. So he goes out there, gives up a leadoff single to that guy, again, Jordan Alvarez. Strikes out Carlos Correa, walks Abraham Toro, and then rolls two on a terrific double play ball. Anderson and Mendick working really well in the middle of the infield. And I think that impresses me most because you have to be able to pitch around mistakes in this game. You have to be able to keep going and keep plugging. And I think some White Sox fans might have missed it. It was, it was you know, kind of in the pregame leading into and postgame out of the Rays series and into the Astros series midweek. So, you know, I know everybody's kind of locked up with work. And Tony mentioned 
this bullpen was needed a little bit of help. It had been worked some. The the whole idea of uh, with the, the the injury list placement and bringing Zach Birdie up onto the roster was so that they had an extra pitcher, so that they had another body to go out there and eat up some innings if they got into a situation like that. When they do that, when they add that extra pitcher, you know where that bullpen's at. So for Carlos to cover seven last night, for him to bounce back after a tough inning against a tough team like the Astros was as impressive as maybe anything outside the no-hitter that he's done to me this season, done for us this season. He hasn't done anything to me. He's been fine. Dylan Cease is another conversation, and in a way, he achieved something fairly similar in the game last uh, two nights ago. We'll talk about that when we get back. We'll take some phone calls as well, 312-332-3776. You want to talk White Sox? This is the show for you. It's White Sox Weekly after all. And before we hit the break, I want to tell you, and this is, I read this beforehand, this is my favorite read I've ever done. This is it, this one right here. White Sox fans, we are thrilled to announce that Guaranteed Rate Field will officially welcome all fans back at 100% capacity starting Friday, June 25th. All remaining home games are on sale now. To purchase your tickets, visit WhiteSox.com. June 25th, 100%. Get yourself to the ballpark. Can't wait to see you there. We'll talk about Dylan Cease on the other side. We've got some conversation about Yohan Mankata as well. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Your White Sox return home to battle the Seattle Mariners June 25th to June 27th. Be here to cheer them on in person. Don't forget, promos are back. Single game tickets are on sale now for tickets and the promo schedule. Visit WhiteSox.com. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Jeff Passan is going to be our guest at 415. The ESPN baseball scribe is... uh, He's a great follow on Twitter. You should read a lot of his stuff. He is very well connected, and it was our pleasure to talk to him a little bit earlier today. We'll bring that back for you at 4.15. We touched on all the all the winners, all the big topics. We played the hits, and you'll hear it in just a little bit. I, I do want to get into the uh, Dylan Cease's outing against the Astros two nights ago, but as I'm told... By Ryan McGuire and Eric Ostrowski, our uh, intrepid producers. Len Asks is in the system. Now, you guys know, usually each day we give you a gateway to the booth, and during the game you get to ask a question of either Len Casper or Darren Jackson, and they answer live during the broadcast your questions. They can be about anything. You know, typically baseball questions, but they don't have to be. It can be about anything you want. Saturdays we flip the script a little bit. And instead, Len asks you a question. So we get your participation all afternoon or morning, whatever it is. I mean, today it's afternoon. I know that. It's been a long baseball season so far, but I I do know it's afternoon. So today we flip the script on you, and Len's going to ask you a question. 312-332-3776 to answer. I've not heard this yet, so it's a surprise to me, same way it is for you. Eric, do me a favor. Fire up Len Asks. 
Hey all, for Len Asks today, with the White Sox owning one of the American League's best records, which team in the league would you say is the most formidable pertaining to the Sox, whether it's how they match up against the White Sox or are just, in your mind, championship caliber? Could be the Rays, maybe the Astros, the Red Sox, Oakland. Let us know via Twitter. Our handle is at ESPN White Sox. Ooh, Len. It's a tough one. I'm trying to put recency bias away right now to answer Len asks for the day, which team is the most formidable to the White Sox in the American League. I mean, remember, Sox haven't seen the Oakland A's yet. You know, so if if you're just watching White Sox baseball, if you got your sights narrowed in, perhaps, you know, you're, you're not as locked in on those Oakland A's and what they're able to do. Uh, the Astros having won the last two games makes it feel like, oh, man, they're a, they're a pretty good squad. The Rays, I, the Rays are a really fun team. I mean, big shock right there in the uh, World Series last year. But the injury, the injury to Tyler Glass now is uh, problematic for them. I mean, they, they've got pitching out the wazoo, right? But it's all structured in such a way that they also kind of need a dude or maybe two or three to be kind of traditional starters. And Glass now was that guy. I mean, not only was he their ace, but he is, I think you could say he is an ace. You know, I mean, every team has their number one in the rotation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that guy, that one, is a one of ones, is your so-called ace in baseball. Glass now is absolutely that guy, and it's really anybody's guess as to how long it takes for him to come back. You'll actually hear a little bit more from Tyler Glass now um, in the, I don't know, 4 o'clock hour. Coming up next, I guess, about his injury situation. I think the Red Sox are a lot better than the White Sox played them at their place early on in the season. But right now, I guess I'd have to answer the question so far with that Houston Astros team. I I would say the Astros. They have good right-handed starting which can be problematic for the uh, for the White Sox lineup at times. But I guess when I, I think about the matchups, as Len asked the question here, you know, what team is the most formidable for the White Sox? You, you keep having to remind yourself that the offense, the White Sox offense, as it's constructed now, will almost definitely not be the offense you're going to see come August 1st. Maybe a little bit later. Maybe if they're not able to make a, a, a large move or don't want to make a large move offensively because it sounds like Aloy's coming back or it sounds like Luis is coming back, something like those things. So matching up this White Sox offense, you know, as it's currently hitting and feeling, is a difficult thing to do and match it up against some of the pitching that they've already seen. I, I think I would still answer with the Astros so far. Gosh, do they roll out a lineup for you. Set out to the phone lines, 312-332-3776, before we hit the break here. And Byron, it's Mike. What's up, Mike? Hey, I don't know if you're a father, but uh, happy uh, Father's Day before Father's Day. I'm not, but I have one, and I'll pass along the regards, Mike. Awesome. And uh, I've got a name. Cool. Great. And a reason why uh, we need a second baseman because uh, Magical's been out for the season now. That's true. Uh, Nick Magical is going to be out for the season. We need a second baseman. So my guy would be to bring in a clubhouse guy that's really good for the clubhouse. Yeah. 
Uh, Yolmer Sanchez. Yolmer Where is he? Sanchez. Sure, love Yolmer Sanchez. Mike, appreciate right? the phone call, man. Hey, I, and the other one is uh, Jake Berger. I hear he's taking uh, some uh, play at second base. He has been. He has been, Mike. We're actually going to get That's into that. Pretty interesting. A little bit on a little bit later on in the show. So Yolmer, uh, right now, not currently playing major league baseball. Although you know the level of defense he provides you, I, I don't think that's a terrible decision. Um, Yolmer, I'll just tell you straight up. I, let's let's put our biases on the table, right? Yolmer is one of my favorite people. I, like that's that's, just, that's it. Yolmer is one of my absolute favorite people. Like Yolmer Sanchez in a clubhouse is ludicrously fun. Just a just a terrific really fun human he's with the atlanta braves right now i'll get you his minor league stats when we come back after the uh, four o'clock hour we'll talk a little bit about what that might look like on a white Sox club and and what jake berger's been up to as well i do want to get into the biggest headline in baseball too and that's on the sticky stuff side of things the pitching side of things it's going to be it's going to be quite an awakening i think on monday or at least could be you can join us on June 25th for reopening night as we welcome fans back at 100% capacity. We'll kick off the night by giving the first 10,000 fans a free White Sox hat and end the night with post-game fireworks. God, I love the fireworks. Make the celebration night even more of a celebration. It's country music night, all presented by Coca-Cola. Single game tickets are on sale now. Get yours at WhiteSox.com. Lots to get to. Mike asked about a second baseman, Yolmer Sanchez, Jake Berger. We'll update you on those situations. We'll also get into the biggest headline in Major League Baseball. And that- Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Start planning your outing to the ballpark. It's perfect for family reunions, fundraisers, and more. Plus, it's the best way to save on single-game prices for your group. After all, White Sox games are better with a group. That's clinically proven, probably. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. Got a couple of questions uh, on the docket to get to. Mike called, asked about uh, a guy, Yolmer Sanchez, and about Jake Berger playing second base at AAA. So we'll get to that in a moment. I want to get to a couple of phone calls before we really get into the sticky situation going on in Major League Baseball. And then Jeff Passan is going to be our guest at 415. Jeff Passan, ESPN.com. You know, see him everywhere on the network and whatnot. He's, he's a big television star now. But we'll head out to the phone lines right now because this show's about you. 312-332-3776. On the south side, it's Patrick. What's up, Patrick? You're on White Sox Weekly. Yeah, uh, a couple of things. All right, the first thing is this. Uh, Cleveland is saying Pittsburgh, so we got a little help that I want to expect that to happen. But you got a three-and-a-half game lead, which yeah. is not that big of a lead. You need a bigger cushion than that to keep hiding Kobeck like this. Uh, you keep saying he's you know, injured. It's been a long time, and they could have used him in the ninth inning yesterday. If they had to put Hendricks in there tonight, Kobeck would have been the person to put in there. And they keep hiding the guy. I mean, if you got a seven-game lead, maybe. Well, he's, but you had a three-and-a-half game hey, lead. Patrick. And, you know, wait, one more thing. No, one no, no. I'm not, I'm not cutting you off. I'm not cutting you off. You're, it's it's your dime, your dance floor, my man, to steal a, a famous okay. phrase. Uh, Kopech is on the injured list right now. He's not being hidden. He is he is on the injured list. They'd have to make a roster move to put him back on the active roster 
right now. He is laid up with a hamstring injury and unavailable to the team until they take him off the injured list, just to just to be clear. I understand it, but how long has he been on it? Well, he's been on for a little while. He was eligible to come up on come off on June 8th, but hamstrings being what they are around baseball right now, it's not that they're hiding him. They just want him to be 100%. Oh, okay. Okay, then. All right. You got guys like Goodwin and Lamb and these guys that, you know, eventually their 15 minute phase is going to be over with. Because there's a reason why nobody wanted them. Um, you need somebody else in that bullpen. To just, they got to do a better job in that bullpen than win their game yesterday, last night. They got to do better than that. They just can't, like, that, 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 the 10th inning was coming up when they're going to have that extra run on second base. Yeah. Free guy on. Live to see another day to get to get the next inning, and I just can understand the move that was made. That don't get me wrong, I ain't got nothing against Crochet, okay? Yeah, I like Crochet, but 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 I just thought that they was like ganging up on his uh, slider real easy. They yeah. kept on doing that, and uh, and he would never give up on. It. I don't know who why they decided to keep on calling that pitch, but yeah. there was that they just basically guided the last guy just guided into a right field, so. I think they need to reevaluate that ninth inning. It was a tie. All right, Patrick. I appreciate you, my man. Um, yeah. So a couple of things there. I I talked about it last night on the post game show, and it, this is just one of those places, right? I philosophically speaking, I I don't align with Tony Larusa on this one, um, and yet you know Tony's in the Hall of Fame. I'm I'm very much not. Uh, my candidacy isn't even like it's 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 nothing. It's it's not happening, <laughs> and Tony's in the Hall of Fame. Tony very much, uh, and, and two things here as well. The bullpen, as it exists, Tony mentioned this uh, leaving Chicago to go to Houston. It's in a, he didn't say rough way, but there are a couple of guys he was looking to stay away from in the first game of that Houston series, maybe even second game of the Houston series last night. So keep that in mind. And whenever we talk about bullpen manipulations or guys that they're calling out, know this. And this is, you know, this, hopefully this is part of the service that I can be for you here on White Sox Weekly. I know that those coaching staffs know more about where those pitchers are than we think we do. That is maybe the biggest disparity between, and, and listen, we know so much about baseball now. We can play with the numbers. We can go on baseball reference. We can use fan graphs. We can go to baseball savant and do all of this stuff and go, well, that guy's the better matchup in this situation. But I promise you, that there's other things going on just in the life of a major league bullpen that might mean oh, this guy this guy doesn't have the eighth inning tonight. He just he doesn't. And we don't get to know those things because it, it wouldn't be safe. You can't operate 162 games telling you everything. All that said, I thought Cody Hoyer threw, threw really well last night. And I start there because I think Cody Hoyer is going to be a big part of this White Sox bullpen going forward. He was going to be coming into the season. I think he will return to be. The stuff, I almost said the other word, the stuff is so good for him. It's so good. I don't know how he gets hit as much as he does the last like two weeks or so. But to see him punch out two and work a clean inning was like, oh, okay, there you go. Cody, get back on it. Well, Crochet was fine, but I thought Patrick pointed out a really good piece there. The Astros did start to swing at that slider. And even though the one he gave up for the game-winning hit to Alvarez was low and outside of the, it was it was beneath the strike zone. That was a pitcher's pitch. It was one that had been called a couple of times before. And I don't you know maybe he could have gone inside with a hard fastball a, a time or two more often. 
uh, or, or maybe even before he tried to throw that slider to get the out. Uh, he stayed with the breaking pitch. It got lined into right, that end of the ball game. And I guess just, just to circle around because I kind of went around it, I would like to see the closer used more often in more situations. That's just me. That's me going into any season. If you've got that guy, I want to see him in tighter spots. I think that makes your bullpen more dangerous. The White Sox, as they're constructed, have a bullpen that can be really dangerous without Liam having to throw those innings. But up to this point, guys like Bummer, Hoyer, Crochet to a certain extent, but not so much, only because the workload for him has been on and off. They haven't had the kind of consistent outings from some of those guys that have made them as dangerous. They've underperformed just a little bit. Even still, they've got one of the better bullpens in the American League. But I think given expectations coming in, I think it's fair to say that they've underperformed just a little bit. I want to get into some of the stickier stuff in baseball, the the big conversation that's going to happen come Monday, which is a Jimmy Buffett song that does not get played enough, I think, on contemporary radio. Major League Baseball has completely changed the policy around foreign substances on the baseball. I don't know how big a deal it's going to be come Monday. It could be catastrophic. It could be nothing. It might matter a ton that a bunch of pitchers have abandoned using substances that they've been using for a long time. Or it might not matter all that much. It might matter at a at a constant pace. And because everybody's stuff and efficiency goes down by kind of the same amount around baseball, that it happens to everybody at the same time. And it's something we all go, oh, look at this. But it's happening for everyone. So it doesn't feel like you're just throwing a six-speed back into the second gear while you're doing 65 on Lakeshore Drive where you're not supposed to. Not that I've ever done that before, but... I, I truly don't know what to expect on Monday. I, I know what I've steeled myself for. I know what I've readied myself for. I At this point in my you know baseball watching life, I'm not going to sit there. Somebody gets suspended for using sticky stuff on Monday. I'm not going to blame them all that much. Will I be, you know, would I be disappointed? Like, oh, God, what a stupid decision. You, you knew this was coming. Yeah. But it's going to be about that guy going out on that day and thinking he could get away with something that he's been getting away with for years in a lot of cases. I think this has been institutionalized a little bit. And I'm not going to blame a whole host of pitchers who have been trying to keep up with increasing home run rates every year since the White Sox won the World Series in 2005 by using something that everybody else is using. If that makes me a little soft, I am totally fine with that. If that makes me... I think what it does, though, is make me willing to understand that this is a competitive business. And each next guy that comes up to the bigs wants your job. Not that guy's job, not that he wants your job. And if that puts a little pressure on any pitcher in baseball to use a little something extra, I understand it. I do. The next part of the conversation is how do we get rid of it now that it's here? And I don't know that slapping on a bunch of restrictor plates or removing all the sticky stuff snap like that in the middle of a season 
is exactly the right way to do it. We will have consequences. There will, and we may have already seen them with Tyler Glass now. Maybe. I'm going to talk to a more informed and certainly uh, better looking baseball analyst than I. Jeff Passan is our guest when we come back. He of the ESPN Network. Well-connected, well-sourced, good reporter. He'll get you the latest on that and the trade deadline as it concerns the White Sox. That's in just a minute. you got White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome into White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. With me, ESPN's Jeff Passan. You know him, you love him, you can catch him on television in Connecticut just about any time. Jeff, just a just a whole hum baseball season so far this summer. What's what you got going on? <laughs> hey, listen, we've got two first place teams in Chicago right now. The city is open. Uh, the Bears apparently are going to be in Arlington Heights, and uh, so we got a real baseball city now. And uh, it's, a, it's an exciting time to be a baseball fan in the city of Chicago. That I can say. Jeff, I want to ask a question that I'm sure you get every time you go on a, a show as a guest. You know, d- delivering your wisdom and insight here. But I want to try and do it with a little twist at the end. With as many injuries as there have been around baseball, are GM talks centering around trades different? yet like are we there at this point now are they willing to do stuff now and if not why i don't think we're there quite yet and and i think there are a couple of factors going on number one i think the sellers know that there are not going to be many of them and that the market for trade pieces is going to absolutely be a seller's market as opposed to a buyer's market and accordingly you don't have to move when a team, say, like the White Sox has an injury that it wants to fill in the near term. You can ask a really high price to pull the trigger early because the fact is you're probably going to get it even if you wait. So there's that. I also think there's the additional part that the draft is going to be going on. And I know those are two different parts of a baseball operations department and that a lot of times the heads of baseball operations are – leaving the draft board up to uh, their scouting director and their area scouts until, you know, a week before the draft. But the draft isn't until the All-Star break this year, and that's a full month later than it typically is. So at least some bandwidth uh, of heads of baseball operations are being taken up by draft preparation at this point and by going out, especially for those teams that have higher picks, that tend to stink year over year, that would be involved in these sorts of conversations, they're out on the amateur circuit right now. Jeff, I I had Chris Getz, assistant general manager for the White Sox, on the show last week, and I asked him about the draft, the the time changes as it relates to the deadline. And it sounds like teams are, are juiced about this, about the change in time of draft. But that, like you say, there there are a lot of things to do because it's the first year of this new process. Yeah, and... Look, the the White Sox right now, it's interesting to look at where they are uh, in their life cycle. Their farm system right now is certainly not what it was even a year ago. You've seen the graduation of Nick Madrigal. You've seen Michael Kopech come back. 
Uh, you've seen Luis Robert turn into a, a star when he's on the field. I mean, all of these guys who we've been anticipating coming up, uh, they have almost all either met or, in some cases, exceeded expectations. So uh, the Sox, you know, the Sox goal right now is to make sure that in the upcoming draft uh, they hit those picks because I'm not saying that it's a bad farm system now. Uh, it's not a good one, though, compared to some of the other teams in their division uh, and around the American League. And that's okay when you have as much young talent as the Sox do, but you never want to get complacent when it comes to replenishing a system because you see the fruit that it can bear on the field for the Chicago White Sox right now. Our guest is ESPN's Jeff Passan here on the White Sox Weekly Show. I'm, I'm wondering, Jeff, there's, we're so close to the White Sox, obviously, on this show. I'm wondering kind of the outside perspective of the team. It seems to me that there's two ways to be impressed by the White Sox, and it's either that they're hitting as well as they are, even though they're without you know, some of the names that you just mentioned that have impressed or exceeded expectations, or that they're pitching as well as they are with guys like Dylan Cease, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon. Do you fall into either of those buckets? Is there a third perspective that, uh, nationally speaking, people have on the Sox? Connor, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I, think I'm, I, I think I'm impressed that the White Sox are hitting as well as they are without Luis Robert, without Aloy Jimenez, with Yasmani Grandal, you know, like creating the Grandal line um, as opposed to the Mendoza line. It's like 150. Is that going to be the new line that we have for, for batting averages? Yeah. And yet I, I look at the White Sox baseball reference page a couple days ago, and Yasmani Grandal somehow has the exact same OPS plus as Jose Abreu. And and so I, I think that's where the – uh, the amazement comes in from there. It's not a traditional kind of offense, but it's effective enough. Uh, the pitching is just, look, I thought Lance Lynn was, I, I thought acquiring Lance Lynn was a really good trade. I didn't expect him to be the guy who might start the All-Star game in the American League this year. Uh, I did not think that signing Carlos Rodon was anything other than, I don't know, uh, you know, tossing a penny into a wishing well or tossing $3 million in baseball into a wishing well and, you know, hoping you get something. Uh, and he's turned into a guy who's, if he continues doing what he's doing, is going to get paid nine figures this offseason. That's how good he's been, Connor. And uh, Dylan Cease taking a step forward. And when Michael Kopech was healthy, uh, you know, him looking like a frontline type guy. Uh, th- there have just been wonderful surprises all around this year. And the White Sox are doing what I thought they would do. They're just not doing it the way that I thought they would do it. We are a couple of hours away, well, 48 or so away, from a brand new era of baseball, in my estimation. The sticky stuff goes away. Are we approaching, like, Mad Max and Thunderdome territory in baseball, or will we not notice? Is there a middle ground? What's going to happen when the sticky stuff goes? I'm not sure we're going to notice because it's one of those things where you look at baseball right now as compared to 10 years ago, and it's ostensibly the same game, but it's really not. I mean, you look at batting averages in the way that they've plummeted. You look at strikeouts in the way that they've ticked up. You don't see that sort of thing on a daily basis, Connor, but 
what you do see is when you look at the cumulative statistics, it really manifests itself that way. So I don't think we're going to see changes that are that are very visible to the eye on a day-by-day basis, but there are definitely going to be changes, and we've, we've seen it already. Batting average is up at least 10 points. You know, last I checked from uh, June 3rd when we really got a sense that the enforcement of sticky stuff was coming, and spin rates uh, across the league, and in particular with, with certain guys, are, are down, and down in a lot of cases demonstrably. So... Uh, well, effects there are absolutely real, but I'm not sure I'm going to look at baseball on Monday or Tuesday and say this is a completely different game, even though in reality it is going to be. Nevertheless, Jeff, you hinted at something in your last column that I can't stop thinking about. It's the notion that pitchers, or at least 100% of those that use some substance that they're not going to allow anymore, could band together keep using the stuff, rebel against the fact that you're going to change the rules mid-season yeah. and just say, you know what? Yep. We're pitching. Go ahead and bring your yep. suspensions to us. What are you going to do? Bring up double-A guys? Yep. Can, I, uh, can that happen? I mean, I mean, I mean. listen, um, the chaos agent in me would love to see that because I have no <laughs> idea what it would look like, and it would be a great story. Um, the realist in me doesn't think that players in the end would go through with a plan like that even though they do sit there and talk about it like i i've been told by multiple players uh who have said those sorts of conversations are happening but they're happening inside of a clubhouse they're happening when players are being emotional to to band together and go out there and do that would essentially be a declaration of war by the players against major league baseball in a collective bargaining year um, it, it would be it would be tantamount to a wildcat strike, and uh, as as satisfying as that would be uh, to to somebody who wants to see uh, absolute madness out there, I just don't see the players doing that. As tantalizing as it may sound, that really would be Thunderdome, uh, Jeff. The I, I don't know how what the percentage is of pitchers that are using in the big leagues. But 100% of pitchers are human, which means some are going to make mistakes. Some are going to miscalculate what they can and can't get away with. How many suspensions do you expect we'll have by the by week's end? Boy, oh boy. I've been thinking about this a lot. And part of me believes that the scared straight tactics are going to work and are working already, and that we're not going to see a whole lot. So I'm going to get my over-under is two and a half. Wow. And I, yeah, I don't think it's, I honestly don't think it's going to be a lot. Does that like, were, were you anticipating a much higher number than that? I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, half the teams had a guy. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, because here's the reason you might be right, because they are going to be treating sunscreen and rosin like spider tack. Yeah, that's... they're going to be treating all the substances the same. And there may be some guys out there who don't want to, to be the next Tyler Glass now and who say, you know what, uh, they can try and catch me. And if they do, then that's a consequence that I'm 
willing to go out there and take. I, I just, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm being naive about this. Uh, I just think that it has become such a large talking point. You don't want the scarlet S. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy who wears the sticky, you know, where, where's the burden of being someone who cheats by using sticky stuff. Jeff, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Always great perspective. We'll talk again soon. Look forward to it, Connor. Thanks for having me. Jeff Passan of ESPN. Nobody does it better. We'll be back with more. Don't go anywhere. It's the White Sox Weekly Show on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Join us on June 26th as the White Sox take on the Seattle Mariners at 1.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will take home a White Sox basketball jersey presented by NBC Sports Chicago. Single game tickets are on sale now. Get yours at WhiteSox.com. I think I've actually seen these basketball, these White Sox basketball jerseys already. Uh, over the last homestand, not the one against the Rays. The, you know, that was a really quick three-game thing. The, the, the other one before that, I saw uh, Yasmati Grandal and Yermin Mercedes wearing these during BP. They're good looking. They're they're vertical stripes up and down. You know, kind of like a kind of like a Bulls look sort of thing. But it's black and white with a White Sox you know logo and everything like that on front of it. Uh, the guys were wearing them during BP because it was so darn hot out for some of those day games a week and a half. Ago. I mean, not that it's still not warm. It's a gorgeous day here downtown. Um, but I've I've seen these basketball jerseys and they look pretty cool, especially when you're you know out there taking BP backward hat kind of thing. It's a very Griffey feel. To the whole look, and which that's it's always very cool. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. I want to get into the sticky stuff conversation a little bit. And I want to do it at least with the help of guys who some used and some haven't said whether they do or don't. And some have thoughts on other pitchers using and how we ought to go going forward. I want to do this chronologically because I think it's the fairest way to do it. Because even since this is the first cut you're going to hear is from Liam Hendricks. It was back on the Eric. Do I have it labeled? It's the fifth of June, and that's a while ago. I mean, the fact that it was two weeks ago on White Sox Weekly. There's been a lot that's changed in the conversation, or at the very least, a lot that's been brought to light about this conversation. And I think hearing it chronologically lets you go, okay, well, this was, you know, two weeks ago and now things have changed. Things have ratcheted up. But that doesn't mean guys haven't been talking about it. And it definitely means that this change, this idea that pitchers are going to be checked twice during a game. Starters going to get checked twice during a game. Relievers get checked on their way into a game. Sorry, relievers get checked on the way out of the game. The closer gets checked on his way in, which comes up with, like, what if the closer blows the save? Then you got another reliever coming in to pitch that final inning. Does that guy get checked on the way in or the way out? I don't know. I guess that's up to the umpire. So much of this is going to be on the umpiring crew. And you know what? Maybe I'll just say this first. Let's not spend the first week of this brand new policy. This feels weird for me to say this. Coming down on umpiring crews. Because while I bet they've got guidance on how Major League Baseball wants this done... Everybody who's worked a job before understands that when corporate tells you, hey, do it this way, and then you get to like the real world effect of putting that policy in place, you go, uh, this doesn't, this doesn't work. We need to change it. And then the guys at corporate go, oh, we don't care. 
We don't have faces. Uh, so so we don't we're, we're just kind of these faceless, nameless entities that just want you to do the thing. And you're going, but I just want to do my job. Well, can I do that? Can I go back to doing the job? Well, please. And they're like, no, you have to do it this way. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're in a situation something like that for a little while. Here's Liam Hendricks on White Sox Weekly two weeks ago today and how he felt about the conversation around pitchers using substances in baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a rampant issue throughout the league. It's uh, it's something that has gone on for decades, not just recently, but recently it's gotten to a little bit more of a scientific level where people are now using certain like devices, whether it be a rap soda, whether it be a trackman, whether it be something like that, to be able to kind of track the differences and, and put that out there. And I, I am all for policing it more and doing whatever they need to do because at the end of the day, we want to try and level the playing field because this is going to benefit everyone in the long run. Yeah, it's going to affect some pitches now, but it's going to be great in the long run because all of a sudden that offense is going to come back a little bit. That fan base is going to be not so wavery and not using this as, a, as an excuse. And then all of a sudden when pitches start getting ahead of it again, then we have the bragging rights of like, well, you complained so much last time we took it away, and now look, we're still doing it. Now maybe it's maybe it's on you guys, maybe it's on the hitters, maybe it's uh, it's a different approach. And stuff. I wouldn't say necessarily guys trying to hit too many home runs or anything like that, but I think the like once you eradicate the, uh, the the substances or whatever you guys, whatever MLB wants to do with that. I think there needs to be a, a come-to-Jesus moment where it's like, okay, well, what can we do to help increase offense? Oh, let's pay guys for singles. Let's pay guys to get on base. Let's pay guys to do this rather than just let's pay guys for OPS or the home runs or the RBIs or anything like that. Let's pay the guys who are hitting singles like the Nick Madrigals of the world who are going to hit 315 to 360 every year and, and maybe hit two to five home runs in a season. And let's pay those guys what they're worth instead of all oh, your OPS is down or your slugging's down or you weren't, at a league, you weren't above an average hitter because you had no power numbers. That's, that, that needs to go away. The analytics side of that needs to go away. And pay guys for getting on base, pay guys for getting singles and doubles. It's White Sox closer Liam Hendricks, who is a really interesting guy to talk baseball with. He is also a really interesting guy to talk Star Wars with, but that's typically a different show for us. I think, speaking of Liam, uh, I believe he is the next guest for Len Casper and Jason Benetti on the Sox Degrees podcast. In fact, Sox fans, if you haven't checked out our new podcast with Len Casper and Jason Benetti, you should. It's called Sox Degrees. They'll have great guests all season long, some close to the team, some six degrees away. New episodes drop every Monday. It's available on Apple and Spotify coming soon. It's actually out now. The next episode comes very soon on Monday. And like I mentioned, Bob Odenkirk was their last guest. And I believe, I have to check with Len. I'm sorry if I'm leading you wrong on this. I'm pretty sure Liam Hendricks is their next guest. Liam brings up some interesting points here. Because not only is he talking about removing the sticky stuff, but also allowing that next opportunity, you know, baseball without sticky stuff, for offensive players to essentially, using his terms, get their butts back in gear, start hitting the ball the other way, which is much more difficult than it sounds, but something that could be helped some by that sticky stuff coming out of baseball, at least for a little while. Pitching, I think, is always going to be ahead of hitting. I mean, until the next expansion, right? Until you widen the pool of pitchers and therefore almost intrinsically lower the level of pitching, pitching's going to be ahead of hitting. So they'll speed up again. And at that point, we'll have to have probably some sort of other readjustment. I don't know. So Hendricks spoke two weeks ago to White Sox Weekly. That's where you just heard that. Carlos Rodon spoke just a couple of days ago to Chuck Garfine in the NBC Sports Chicago uh, podcast, the White Sox podcast. They do. They do a great job. 
But Rodon gave his thoughts on the shifting policy at the time. The way I look at it is it's hard. It's hard to see this when you're giving out 10 game suspensions for cheating, but you give the Astros no, no suspensions at all. So, I mean, if Rob Manfred can look himself in the mirror and say, hey, I'm doing the right thing, that's fine. You can't suspend the team that you actually knew was cheating during a playoff game. That's on you. That's White Sox starter Carlos Rodon. Now, I, I want to bring up something here. I, I've seen a lot of push. Well, I, maybe push is the wrong term, but a lot of uh, feedback to Carlos's comments here about the Astros and they're not getting punishment for the sign-stealing issue that, that went on two years ago, maybe for much more. Oh, they couldn't suspend players. How else were they going to get players to talk? Oh, they couldn't suspend players. It's not collectively bargained. Carlos, why don't you get this? Dude, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about he's a player, and that's how he feels about this policy as it regards the other one. They're just going to unilaterally step in and start suspending guys for 10 games and not letting teams replace those guys on rosters because they can't find them for this suspendable issue. That's the collectively bargained thing. Baseball can't say you're fined X amount of dollars for using stuff on the baseball. That's not collectively bargained. That's why guys are going to get 10-day paid vacations from their team. When they come back, they're going to catch hell. I mean, mark it down. These guys that get suspended and, and teams that can't replace them on the roster, when they come back to their squads, with very few exceptions, they're going to catch it from their teammates. Think of a team like, uh, like the Indians, for example. They're already down Shane Bieber. They don't have Zach Plesak because he can't put a shirt on safely. Like it's, They're not a one dude in the rotation. They lose a pitcher for 10 days because he demands to keep using stuff, James Karinczak, and he's going to come back to the club and expect smiles? Are you joking? This is We're in a weird space, and I, I, I completely understand Carlos saying, I can't believe we're doing this while we were all, and I think he's kind of pointing at Major League Baseball here, while you guys were all happy with the way the Astros thing worked out. What are we, I think, I think what Carlos is kind of coming into is like, what are we doing here? Which brings us to our next pitcher that talked, and it was right after his start against the White Sox, Tyler Glass now. All 6-6 and a, 100-mile-an-hour fastball of him, believes that leaving the substance behind, he says he uses sunscreen and rosin, which is a pretty typical combination, as I understand it, for a lot of pitchers around the game. He went cold turkey. Well, you'll hear some of it in this cut, but in case it doesn't have the full context, he quit two starts, or the start, rather, before the White Sox start. Had a heck of a time getting a grip on a baseball and feels like he got hurt in part because he stopped using the grippy stuff. Whether you want us to not use sticky stuff or not is, is, is fine. Fine. Do it in the offseason. Give us a chance to adjust to it. But I just threw 80-something, 70-whatever innings, and then you just told me I can't use anything in the middle of the year. I had to change everything I've been doing the entire season. Everything out of the window. I have to start doing something completely new. And then I'm telling you, I truly believe that's why I got hurt. Me throwing 100 and being 6'7 is why I got hurt, but that contributed. 
And so I'm I'm just frustrated that like they don't understand how hard it is to pitch one, but to tell us to do something completely different in the middle of a season is insane. I just don't, it's, it's ridiculous. There has to be some give and take here. You can't just take away everything and not add something. Pitchers need to be able to have some sort of control or some sort of grip on the ball. And I, I just don't want things like this to happen to somebody else. I don't want a fastball to sail away and hit somebody in the face like it already has. So I just think, like, I understand you need to take an aggressive approach here, but, like, I just think people are going about it all wrong. And I'm sitting here, my lifelong dream, I want to go out and win a Cy Young. I want to be an all-star. And then now it's all just because, I, like, now it's over. And I can't – I and now I have to try and rehab to come back in the playoffs. So I'm clearly frustrated. It's just I think there needs to be a lot more – People need to, to figure this out. You can't just tell us to use nothing. It's crazy. So a couple of things on Tyler Glass now, and I, I respect what he's saying. I really do. But here's the, as best as I can tell you, the science behind that idea of the substance helped get him hurt, right? And I, he even pointed it out, right? The fact that he's six seven and throws 100 is why he got hurt. The fact that his body is able to put the force of a freight train into his elbow as he's throwing a baseball to home plate is mostly the reason he got hurt. But as you develop your muscles and recruit the muscles, that's how that's kind of the, the, I don't know, physical therapy term for it, right? You recruit muscles to get into the process of protecting your elbow while you're throwing the baseball at home plate. It gets used to a certain set of substance, uh, circumstances. And he'd been using grip stuff. So his muscles got used to gripping this hard and not harder because he's got the grip stuff to help out with the rest and then throwing. And removing that in the middle of the season makes him have to redo some of that musculature right retrain some of that stuff or at least work it harder and in the middle of the season he's saying that that's not quite fair now here's the back half of the story there too if you read some of the reporting on this and it has been done so well by guys like jeff passan who was our last guest travis sawchik who does it for the athletic and the ringer i think in two places ben Lindbergh, who does it for the ringer and is an unbelievably good baseball writer the reporting on this seems to point to a number of either trainers or teams or staffs or even baseball itself as being tacitly signing off on this. In some cases, allegedly providing these substances to pitchers. When you have an entity like that, that's saying, yes, this is what it takes to compete. This is that little extra. As an athlete, your entire life, you've been told, can you, this guy's going to give it 100%. Can you give it 110% to win? Every group you're at, every next elite level you go to, every promotion through the minor leagues, every arbitration hearing you're at, somebody's going to tell you, well, this guy went to 110%. Can you go higher? Can you perform just that much better? Not excusing the behavior. I'm just kind of trying to paint the context of the competitive nature of this business that leads to a guy like Jeff Passan 30 minutes ago saying, or no, I'm sorry, forget that. A guy like Liam Hendricks four minutes ago saying, this is a rampant problem in baseball. It is. I'll take his word for it. We'll get, we got some more sound on the way back. I'll take a phone call from Brooks when we come back as well. Got to take a break. Enjoying the conversation. 312-332-3776. You want to talk White Sox or about the biggest headline in baseball? You want to tell me who you want on the White Sox? We'll do all of that when we come back. It's the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. 
The White Sox pregame show coming up at 5.30. Been talking a lot about the big headline in baseball, the removal of the sticky stuff from the game. We are also, I guess, officially into the who do you want season, that territory of White Sox Weekly. I've got two rules for you for who do you want. We're going to run it all the way up to the trade deadline. Want a name from you and a why. I'll do the legwork. I'll figure out the stats. And, you know, if you want any salary stuff or whatever, you don't have to have those things. I just, a name and a why. Brooks wants to play on White Sox Weekly. He's in Naperville, and now he's on the show. What's up, Brooks? A happy, um, happy early Father's Day, uh, Connor. Thank you. You too, if it applies. And I guess even if not, I hope you have a happy Father's Day tomorrow. And, and happy Juneteenth as well, too. Absolutely. Um, I want uh, Trevor Story from the Colorado Rockies. Sure. And the reason why is he has pop, and and the White Sox right now are lacking power. And I just, I feel like we need another solid bat in our lineup, like Trevor Story and and like uh, like Elo- Eloy and, and Luis are are out. Um, some sort of time. We just need another guy who has um, can step up the power. Um, and I feel like Trevor Story is, is that good, um, a good of a trade target for the White Sox. Brooks, let me ask you a quick question before I let you go. And and this is not, I don't mean to lead you anywhere. This isn't me trying to snipe or anything. I'm genuinely curious. Story's going to cost a bit. Are you okay with giving up someone like Crochet or Kopech or another big-time name from the White Sox to go get a player, if it's not Story, some other big-time player? Um, I just need, I just need someone um, at second base or whatever has power. Sure. Like, I am I'm a little disappointed the White Sox lack of power. And yeah. it seems like they're playing small ball, and I just want the balance of small ball and power. And, and um I, I just, I, I, it's really hard for, like, really hard for me for um, watching this small ball at times. Mm-hmm. Brooks, appreciate you, my man. Yeah, I, I'm with you in that. I could use more slugging out of my team, right? I mean, that's who couldn't. You want a little more thump? I think everybody wants a little bit more thump. I am not, however, convinced that the offensive environment we've seen up until this point is is the one that we're going to play with all season long. I've read some things, and, and this isn't like me telling me, like, like I'm being your your crazy uncle who's seen some stuff on YouTube. Like, hey, you should go check it out. You should use your own research. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I've seen guys like uh, Sawcheck and Lindbergh and um, uh, Rob Arthur uh, write about the baseball and how we, uh, Joe Sheehan has written this too about how maybe even the baseball has, has changed a little bit this, this season. And that's not to put it all, you know, off the White Sox and onto outside circumstances. Yes, Yoan Moncada, he probably hit for a little bit more power. Jose Abreu over the last, you know, the month of June has, hasn't been great, the one home run. Yeah, you could hit for more power. But as it regards, like, is this the offense the White Sox will have for the entire year, even if you're without Aloy or Robert or uh, Madrigal? I don't think so. I actually think you could see some changes and you could see more thump. We'll get into the rest of that. We'll get into the the pitching environment that's going to change quite a bit. Still some more sound from uh, Dallas Keuchel. And some fun stuff, too. Darren Jackson with some 
dynamite breakdown stuff in last night's pregame show. I want to bring some of that back. Uh, and Len Casper's bopping around the juice box in Houston and picking up interviews with cool dudes. So you'll hear from Darren Jackson when we come back. You'll hear from Dallas Keuchel before we're done. And Len Casper talked with A.J. Pierzynski because A.J.'s in Houston and they like each other. So they had a chat about, oh, that, uh, you know, that 2005 season for the White Sox where they played the Astros. And I, I think the Sox won all four. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. We'll be back with more. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Join us on Sunday, June 27th as the White Sox take on the Mariners. The first 15,000 fans will receive, oh, I love this, a Lucas Giolito X-Wing fighter bobblehead. Single game tickets are on sale now. Get yours at WhiteSox.com. I'm so glad they put Lucas in an X-Wing. Obviously, he's not a Y-Wing pilot. Those are just lumbering bombers. Like, what the hell? And then he's not an A-Wing guy. He's too tall for that. He's clearly an X-Wing pilot. The B-Wing didn't come around until much, much later in the whole. He's not a Jedi guy, probably. So he's probably more an Empire Strikes. I'll have to ask him all about this. If you followed any of this, I love you. Thank you so much. Uh, And you can join me and Lucas and Liam uh, when I finally wrangle them together for a Star Wars conversation because the three of them are nuts for the whole thing and so am I. Two of them. I'm the third. Anyway, this is White Sox Weekly. And we were talking a lot. Actually, Brooks, uh, listener and caller, joined the show and mentioned that he's, he's looking for more thump in the White Sox lineup. He wants more power. And, and so do I, really. I mean, so do a lot of people. I was looking through, um, I think Josh Nelson of Sox Machine pointed it out on Twitter earlier today that the White Sox are uh, hitting fewer home runs than they ought to. They're um, hitting fewer home runs than they're allowing right now. I think they're 14 under. They've given up 14 more home runs than they have hit. And you don't, teams, as a, you know, in the large statistical whole of things, don't often make deep playoff runs or get to the playoffs when they've hit fewer home runs than they've allowed. Are there special circumstances? Yeah, there are. There absolutely are. The home runs that have been allowed by the White Sox, I think largely, you know, you look at some of Lucas's starts, they've given up a bunch in games that they've kind of been blown out of, right? You think about the 7-0 loss to the Yankees, uh, the first night of this series uh, against the Astros. You know, if all those home runs come on one bad start for a guy, then that kind of mitigates the fact that you're giving up as many as you are. That the White Sox aren't hitting as many home runs as they should, you can kind of understand because of who they've had to play, right? Like Billy Hamilton stepped in and provided a four, I want to say 460 OPS, which was nice and and had some big hits. But none of Billy Hamilton's big hits are going to be homers, even though he did plug two. You know, and I think you could say that about a couple of guys. Leori Garcia has not gone yard yet this year, and he's usually a guy you could pencil in for... What, 12? Would you call me crazy if I said Lurie over a whole season to be a 12 guy? 12 makes a little sense. Engel's probably more like a 15, 18 guy. He's missed a month and a half of baseball. That Aloy fella probably, <laughs> probably hit about 40. Uh, and Luis is probably good for 22, 25. He gets hot. You know, you could see, I could see Aloy, uh, pardon, I could see Luis Robert in like his age 26 season age 28 season, you know, really starting to, you know, having a year where the power really comes around and being like a 30-33 guy, something like that, 33 home runs. But at this point, not yet. Still, those guys aren't there. 
And I think the White Sox will trade for some power. I, I really do. As to power and hitting for it, we saw your mean Mercedes do some of that early on in the season. He has been in a tough slump in the last month plus of baseball. In six weeks, really. I talked with Darren Jackson about your mean Mercedes and the work that he's seen him go through over the last couple of weeks. And I thought, I mean, when you, DJ's terrific, especially getting in the heads of hitters. And what DJ loves doing maybe more than anything else, and he's going to hate that I'm speaking for him right now, but I will, because I don't think he's listening. <laughs> what DJ loves maybe more than anything is like the hour and a half leading up to the broadcast. Because he'll just sit there and watch BP and watch guys take outfield practice. And because he's done this forever, because he's got the playing career and then the 20-something years broadcasting, like he knows what to look for. And I've been in the situation where he goes, do you see that? And I go, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm making out my lineups, DJ. I'm trying to figure out how to call a game. What are you talking about? It's like this guy just did this, this, and this, and it means this, this, and this. And sure enough, all of those things happen in the game like an hour later. So when DJ tells you, here's what I've seen in the work, here's what I've seen in BP, here's what things are working on, here's what, and he's talked to hitting coaches too, you'll hear that here. I think this is like, this is one of the biggest pull back the curtains that we've done on White Sox Weekly so far this year. We'll do more for sure. But I asked DJ what the work and approach is and what, what's necessary for a player like your mean Mercedes at this point to get out of a slump like this. I already know what the what the program is for him because I've talked to uh, one of the hitting coaches, Howie Clark, and it's getting him to recognize strikes. He is not recognizing strikes right now. Now, with that being said, if somebody say, well, how does he recognize strikes? Well, that's the hard part because he doesn't have the confidence and sitting there and saying, hey, I can see the baseball out of the pitcher's hand and still hit a fastball. He doesn't feel that right now. In his mind... He has to start swinging as soon as the ball leaves the pitcher's hand because he's going to be beat by a fastball, and he does not want that to happen. So there's no recognition. There's no confidence. He's not seeing the release point out of the pitcher's hand right now. So the work is kind of difficult. The work is accepting that you don't have to crush the baseball. Try and just cut down on your swing, but you got to have the right approach. You've got to know how to just cut down and accept a single. And what we've seen with uh, Yermin is he's got a two-strike approach, and he tries to cut down on it, and that's not working. He's still chasing bad pitches. So this is a long process. Usually it takes a guy just hitting rock bottom, absolutely struggling so much that he just lets all the stress and tension go, and you relax, and it comes back to you little by little on what you were doing before, and you find it again. DJ, you mentioned how difficult it is for a young player to get the feel of being a DH in this game. Would it be different, maybe even easier for your mean, if he had an everyday position to go out and also focus on? I think at this stage, yeah, because he's got to have something positive go on while he's playing baseball. If you're failing and hitting and that's your only job, all you do is you go back and you think about it. You just can't let it go, and it starts festering. It starts eating you alive, and you're like, "Uh, I can't fix it. It's just a nightmare. He's probably losing sleep every night, coming here acting like everything's fine, and it's just not. Now, if he was doing something defensively, helping the team, making a play, doing something, you're contributing, and it makes you relax a little bit because you can say, well, at least I did this. Well, he doesn't have that to go to right now. 
can things like this get resolved with an aha moment, or is it that plus a continued schedule of work against the things he's been uh, kind of messing up the last little bit. I've never seen anybody in a funk like he's in right now and have that aha moment. It just isn't enough because you don't believe it's true. You don't think this is it. You just feel you ran into it, you got lucky, and you just you still got to go through the process little by little, accepting the singles, recognizing that you can't swing at everything. And when he does that, when he says, okay, I'm timing a 95-mile-an-hour fastball to hit right back off the pitcher's leg, and that's all I'm swinging at out of, in this exact zone. When he can do that, then he'll work his, back, his way back to swinging aggressively and driving the baseball. But it, it's got to be a recognition of one pitch and one pitch only and start from there. DJ, appreciate you as always. Here's hoping a day off clears the mechanism for your mean Mercedes. Yeah, we're hoping so because we need him, and if he gets it going, he's a big help. Yermin had the day off yesterday. He is back in the lineup today, DHing after Jose Abreu batting four. Yermin is batting five. I, you know, I thought that was some really good stuff from DJ. I, I hope you did too. And I hope, you know, what what underlies this whole thing and what DJ I think does such a great do- job talking about that that, I mean, quite frankly, math nerds like myself, you know, don't. I, I look at the game from a statistical bent because I played it into high school and then was very bad. And, and you know, that was the end of my baseball playing career I of, of anything organized, right? Like I play softball and stuff like that. But what does that matter? What DJ communicates, I think, so well is the need for confidence when you're going about your work. Not just when you're stepping into the box against a dude that won a Cy Young or whatever, but... Having that confidence while you're working. And that's why I think Tim Anderson being Tim Anderson on this team is so huge. You, you hear Rick Hahn talk about it often. You've heard Tony La Russa talk about it often. For Frank Menachino, the hitting coach, talk about it too. Frank loves Tim. And I, there, there needs to be an element in any club, I think, and probably on any team playing any professional sport, where there's an element of, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be one guy, but often it is, of a hype guy. You need some guy who is, you know, in, in some regard, endlessly positive for each one of his teammates. You know, and, and every time you're walking up there, is telling you that he expects a home run, that he knows this is coming for you, that, that you've got this, whatever that task is going to be that day. It's, have you seen Moneyball? You're probably screaming at your car right Yes, I've seen Money. Of course I've seen Moneyball. Hundreds of times I've seen Moneyball. There's, or if you've read the book, it's in there too. Ron Washington is the, um, gosh, infield instructor for the A's. I think he was also the third base coach at the time. Um, later on, manager of the Texas Rangers. And all throughout the book, you know, the A's are trying to get Scott Hatterberg to play first base. He's been a catcher doesn't know how to play first he's terrified of playing first chris pratt's got the line in the movie what's your you know what's your biggest fear like the baseball just being hit in my general direction and all movie long all season long in real life this isn't just a movie thing in real life they would put hatterberg over at first they'd use the they'd, they'd fungo the hell out of baseballs at him at first base and he'd have to pick he'd have to make the picks at first and ron washington would stand five feet behind first base and just scream picking machine and just boost up this confidence. Every little routine play that Scott Hatterberg made over at first base, because defense was the thing Hatterberg was working on at the time as a brand new position, was played up into this, like, you know, Keith Hernandez kind of play. This Jose Abreu scoop over at first. 
those kind of things matter in a season. And those kind of players who can offer those things like genuinely and get and get responded to genu- uh, genuinely also matter. So when it comes to a guy like you mean, like, yeah, identifying strikes in the strike zone is the next step for him. That's where it's got to get better. But as to how that work goes about getting done and being, you know, logged as successful, you're going to need everybody. It takes a village in times like this. 312-332-3776. Getting closer to the end of White Sox Weekly here. Pre-game show is going to start at 530. Uh, but we've been playing. Who do you want? Pretty much all day long. We'll keep playing it up until the White Sox make a move or the deadline or whatever happens last, I guess. In Chicago, it's kind of everywhere in Chicago, it's Roy. What's up, Roy? Hey, I got got one more name. Give me a name. I need a name and a why. Chris Bryant. Well, the why kind of speaks for itself there. He's he's a terrific ball player. Cubs needed a starter. Uh, They could Dylan Cease. And a package with a catcher. Clearly, Yerman can uh, catch. He did that before, at least in one of the games. Yeah, no, he's he's a catcher by trade. He's come up through all of his minor league and uh, and, and international play as a catcher. So it's Roy. It's interesting. I you know Chris Bryant's a big fish, right? I mean that is a big time ball player. Yes, he's in his walk year. But he's having a terrific season, and, and I think everybody in town kind of understands that the Cubs are looking to, if they do move Bryant, which I don't know that they're going to or not, but the Cubs want a lot of big stuff back. They've had Dylan Cease before. I think it's going to take more than Cease and your mean Mercedes to get him. Are you okay with paying premium prices? I mean, it's it's probably a crochet involved in that conversation and more. Is that okay with you? I was thinking of Yasmani and uh, Cease. Well, now you're down two catchers. No, not uh, not Mercedes. Keep Mercedes. And sure. The sure. second catcher behind Collins. Well, I, I think they want younger players, too. I mean, if, if that's what they want, I think they also want younger players. I mean, I, I, the question to you, I guess, is they, they want Crochet as well. Uh, maybe they want one of the younger high school arms that the White Sox have, too. Like, you're okay paying those prices for a premier rental? I'm okay paying those prices for a World Series. <laughs> yeah, that's the answer, man. Hell yeah. Flags fly forever. Roy, I appreciate you. Thanks for the call. Yep. I I get it. I do. Flags fly forever. Figure out that prospect cost when the uh, World Series banner goes up. When the ring ceremony happens and the chairman is out there handing everybody that sparkly, sparkly jewelry... And some prospect is over in, I don't know, Oakland or on the other side of town or whatever and having a great year. You say to yourself, you know what, self, that World Series was a lot of fun. <laughs> and you don't look back. Oh, I know you do look back. You look back at the World Series championship. You just don't have to deal with the rest of it. I'm cool with that, Roy. I am cool with that. But it's a delicate balance to walk, right? I mean, I don't think the White Sox are in it because of the injuries to the White Sox. I don't think Rick Hahn's in a position where you can just say full steam ahead because Crochet matters to winning games on the 2021 roster. Michael Kopech matters, obviously, to winning games on the 2021 roster. And if it's just you and me talking, I think Kopech's as close to untouchable as a guy can be. I mean, for me. 
And while I understand, like, you know, this window is the window, right? This White Sox team should be good for four or five seasons. That doesn't mean that year one is take it easy and see what happens and maybe win a World Series. And then year two is maybe you ratchet it up more. And then year three is like, okay, time to win. And if year four, it hasn't happened. Year four is like, oh, my God, we have to win. And then year five is like, ah, we have it. What? It doesn't work that way. Like, each year has to be, uh, Rick's talked about it, sacred. Playoff approaches are sacred. Which means year one, as best it can, has to be considered as a legitimate chance to win a World Series the same way year five is considered. Which means you got five shots. you got five spins of the wheel. What's that, 20%? So year one, 20% of your chance. Year two, the other 20%. Three, 20%, and so on and so forth. Now, it's difficult to measure all of those things at once, but when you look at maximizing each one of those spins of the wheels, each one of those 20% slivers, Michael Kopech, at least to me, Michael Kopech can be a guy that really matters for you in each one of those seasons. And that's why I, you know, from my perspective, I'm saying, eh, probably not. Especially, you know, for a rental, especially. Now, now you're changing the conversation quite a bit. I do love, you know, Roy's general philosophy, though, right? I asked him if he's willing to give up big-time names. And Roy said, you know, for a World Series, yeah. Hell yeah, man. It's absolutely, I get it. These things are sacred. These playoff approaches, these runs toward a World Series. These, let's just be, let's be easy with it. These kind of good teams are sacred things in baseball. Because they're not guaranteed in next season. They're just not. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. we got the pregame show coming up at 530. When we come back, there, there were some developments in the minor leagues and a conversation around Yoan Mankata that uh, Tony La Russa kind of embarked on yesterday. Yester- yesterday. That I want to get back to real quick, and we'll do it. It actually concerns two fan favorite names, Yoan Mankata and Jake Berger. Talk about that when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Closing things up here on White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight, pregame show at 530. Quickly before we go, I wanted to update you on a couple of things going on. Uh, Yoan Mankata with a sinus infection did not play against the Rays. He's still battling back to 100%. He spoke with beat reporters before last night's game. And he's just you know, kind of behind it, you know? You know how that gets? He's kind of behind it. You're not quite 100%. You're functional. You can do the things you usually do. It's not all kind of working as well as you'd want it to. Uh, that aside, Tony La Russa talked quite a bit about how much Yuan has meant to this club so far this year. Uh, I don't think you can give him enough credit. I mean, it just doesn't seem like we talk enough about him. He's been very consistent. I mean, he's gotten as many or more big hits than anybody on the team. And uh, makes a lot of plays. He's been an offensive and defensive plus. He always got a smile on his face. Very popular. So I mean, he's one of the highlights of this team. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know until I got here. Just you know, just how special he is. But he's very special in every way. Uh, that said, uh, Tony kind of also mentioned uh, he, he's staying at third base. Yoan Mankata is staying at third base. We're not moving Yoan off of third base. But it is why, or at least injuries have been why Jake Berger, a third baseman moved over to second place base the other night at Charlotte. Tony spoke to why that's happening. 
that's what you want to do is you want to make sure that there's different ways that if he earns promotion, there's ways to get in the lineup. You know, the obvious thing is, you know, with Yohan at third base, the way he's been swinging the bat, you know, there's another option like second base, for example. I know with the Red Sox, they did that with uh, Chavis, third baseman. They moved players some in second. You know, I think there's, you know, it's smarter to do it down there. It's not such a microscope that's it's watching every move you make. I remember one year we brought Chris Duncan up as a first baseman. And he came up because everybody was hurt. And he played in the outfield of the big leagues for the first time, 2006. That's, that's kind of unfair. So I like that they're exposing him to second base down there. Makes sense. It does. It does make a lot of sense. You want to develop, if you can, as much institutional backstopping at positions. And if Berger can play a little second base, so be it. Um, I think everybody in the organization would love to see Jake Berger knock on the door of the big leagues and say, hey, it's my time, especially after the high draft pick that uh, he earned for himself. A lot of people say that, you know, the organization spent the draft. He earned the draft pick is what he did, Jake Berger. Um, the story he's had, the injuries he's fought through, all that kind of stuff, I'd, I'd love to see him make an impact for some major league club, maybe even the White Sox. Uh, if second base helps him get there, so be it. He had a bunch of chances the other night. He DH'd last night. Two nights ago, he played second base, had a bunch of chances. Looked okay. Getting used to it, though. Got to figure out a new arm slot. Second base is that weird kind of, you know, it's a different whole arm slot is what it is. That's going to do it here for us on White Sox Weekly. We are out of time. The pregame show starts in just a couple of minutes. 5.30, we'll get things going. It's a 6.15 first pitch for the White Sox and Astros with Lance Lynn and Framber Valdez on the mound for the Sox and Astros Respectively, thanks to Jeff Passan, thanks to Ryan McGuire, thanks to Eric Ostrowski. I'm Connor McKnight. We'll catch you next week. More White Sox Weekly. Don't go anywhere. It's the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.